agree. So, Pastor Tim is obviously not here today. My name is Brian. I'll be filling in and been looking at 2 Timothy uh, personally for a while. Been, been in 2 Timothy myself and man, just awesome stuff that God has in here. I mean, it's been very impactful for me this uh, past week looking at this particular chapter and studying it. And I know we're kind of picking it up in the middle of uh, 2 Timothy in chapter 3, so I'm going to give you a little bit about where we're at. Paul is imprisoned for the Lord. He's in his cell, preoccupied, though, with the future of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His thoughts are dwelling on the evil of the end times, and what, what can he do to encourage Timothy to continue to fight the good fight? You see, Timothy was kind of Paul's, who he, brought, he, who he brought under his wing to be able to, you know, sow into and pour into. All of us should have that Paul in our life to look up to and that Timothy in our life that we are also raising up and encouraging. So we're going to stand, stand with me and we're going to read, starting in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then we'll pray. Verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Let's pause right here. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you that we have your word in front of us today to look into and study and read. And Father, I just pray by the outpouring of your Holy Spirit right now on every person that will hear your words today. Not my words, Lord, but your word today that you'll pierce our hearts, Father God, that you will change us today, Father God, by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. We thank you again for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Perilous times. How do we, how do we have a proper perspective in what's happening and what's going on around us in these perilous times that he's telling Timothy almost 2,000 years ago that are coming? And if not then, how much more... Now are we in those perilous times. Look again at verse 1. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The word know there, if you want to highlight that, underline that, it has the idea that he wants Timothy to really understand. It's not head knowledge. It's to really, not, not just to hear something. He wants him to really understand, really comprehend, really grasp what he's trying to say. He's saying, Timothy, pay attention. Wake up. 
I'm getting ready to tell you something very important. Don't miss this. Pay attention. It's important for you to understand. Perilous times. Guys, it's what we're in. And as believers, we have to be able to discern what's going on around us. We have to be able to discern what is happening in these last days. Notice again in verse 1, in the last days, perilous times might come. Wait, is that what your word says? It says will. It doesn't say might. It says that they will come. Perilous times. What do we, we don't really use that word. I don't think I, I haven't really used the word perilous in probably the last time since I taught this. We don't really walk around talking about that stuff. What is perilous, right? You know, it's troublesome, dangerous, harsh, fierce times, savage, difficult, stressful situations. Kind of the sort of atmosphere that's going to mark our last days. Can anybody really relate to that this morning? Kind of what we have going on around us, doesn't it? Many of you probably came in here this morning feeling defeated from this past week, beat up, tore up. You know, maybe you still have bite marks on your arms or, you know, hand marks around your neck. I mean, hopefully, just figuratively speaking, you know, not literally. If you do, come see us afterwards. We'll pray for you, okay? But walking through this past week, man, it can be tough, right? Being a believer in this world can be tough. And again, maybe that describes you. Maybe that describes your week that you kind of walk through, or maybe, maybe you didn't walk through it. Maybe you crawled through it, you know? Fingernails clawing through this past week. Guys, you're in the right place. And Paul is going to describe here all these characteristics, and it speaks of not necessarily bad times per se. It's bad people in a certain time. Oh, great. Here we go again, talking about people in the church. You know, that's all the church does, talk about people, right? Well, it's important for us to understand, so much so that Paul wrote this down for Timothy. He says in the last days there in verse 1, it's just a, a broad sense of the term. You know, some can say that the last days started when the church was born in Acts at the day of Pentecost and goes on to where we are now. The days marking the last days is, you know, right before you know, the, the consummation of all things laid out in Scripture, you know, what the Bible says, right before the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this. He says, there are some brethren who are looking forward to everything growing better and better and better until at last this present age somehow ripens into a great millennium. They will not be able to sustain their hopes, for Scriptures give them no solid basis to rest upon Apart from the second advent of our Lord, the world is more likely to continually sink into a pandemonium that will rise into that millennium. Our world is just going to get more and more spinning out of control. How do we handle that as believers? How do we deal with that as believers in these last days? Jesus even rebuked the spiritual leaders of his day. They couldn't figure it out. Matthew 16, in verse 3, Actually, one through four, but in verse three, he tells them, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't even discern the signs of the end of the times. It's kind of funny if you catch that there. They could, they could read the weather. <laughs> I mean, our meteorology profession today can't even do that. I mean, these guys didn't even have the technology they did back then, and they could tell what was going on by looking at the sky with the weather, right, you know? But these guys could not discern what is the sign of the times? What's going on around them? Very important for us as believers to understand this. 
Paul goes on now in verse 2. He's going to describe the condition of these men in the last days. Look again in verse 2 with me. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people, he says, turn away. Oh, Paul. A little, a little heavy there. <laughs> that was a list. That's a list. Man, he just threw that at us. You know, Timothy's like, man, you just threw that at us, you know, and, and for us today. It's important to understand what that list means. In verse 2, he says, for men will be lovers of themselves. I'm sure you will agree, guys, this is certainly a characteristic of our present day and age. When he says men there, Okay, it literally means all mankind, all of us, okay, all of us, all mankind are encouraged to love themselves, right? People are told to love themselves unconditionally in such a way that it will be the foundation of all their healthy human personality and perspective on life. Sad to say, guys, that is not biblical and that is being taught from the pulpit across our churches in America this morning. Your best life now. You deserve your best life now. Seriously, think about it for a minute. Do we really need to be taught how to love ourselves more? I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't really need encouragement in this area. I love me. I love me. Some of you guys are, some of you guys are saying right now, you don't know, I don't love myself. I hate myself. Really. You dressed yourself this morning. You fed yourselves. And by the way, we thank you for dressing yourself this morning. The rest of us here that have clothes on, okay? You don't hate yourself. You love yourself. Think about it. Some of you still say, no, 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 Pastor, you don't understand. I hate myself. I'm just, I'm ugly. I hate myself because I'm fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too brown, too white, whatever. Fill in the blank. Now, if you really hated yourself, you'd be glad that you're ugly, okay? If you really hated yourself, you'd be glad. But no, we try to do everything we can to ourselves to primp ourselves up and take care of ourselves. We love ourselves so much, and we don't need to be encouraged in this area. We naturally have a love for ourselves. You know, we're told in Scripture to love our neighbors as ourselves. God didn't have to explain that any further. Okay, he knew how much we were going to love ourselves. Our society is full of self-love, guys. I mean, it's, it's prevalent everywhere you look. We, got, we, you know, we had Us Magazine, right? That wasn't really pointed enough, so we drove it a little further. We went to Self Magazine, right? Pretty soon, we're going to have Me Magazine, and the cover of it is just going to be a shiny piece of paper, and you can see yourself in it when you pick it up. Oh, wait a minute. Hold, hold on. Oh, we're already there. <laughs> we're already there. We even have new vocabulary to describe how we capture ourselves. We call them selfies. Does self-love get any more personal than that? You know, I'm going to take a photo of the congregation here for a second. And when I do this, 
I'm going to send it to Pastor Tim, and he's going to post it on our Facebook page. And then he's going to blow it up and make an 8x10 vinyl of it and put it on the front wall out front next Sunday. Who's going to be the first person you look at in that picture? Maybe I digressed on that a little too much. <laughs> Scripture tells us to be, have a very balanced view of ourselves. Okay? We're not to think so much of ourselves and focus so much on ourselves. But you know what? Scripture also tells us that we're not to hate ourselves. We're supposed to have a proper perspective on that. Romans 12 in verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, we have to be true with ourselves, right? We have to be, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves. But we have to do that in light of Scripture. It's very important we have to do that in light of what Scripture says. Both the bad of how our flesh is compared to God's standard, right? As well as to the glory that we are when he looks on us because as a believer we are clothed in his righteousness. So no matter which end of the spectrum on you're, you're on this morning, you can't stand yourself, you hate yourself. It's a wrong view of what Scripture says. Well, you love yourself so much, it's all about you. Same thing. Guys, it has to be a balanced approach. Balanced approach in, in light of what Scripture says about who we are. Maybe I spent a little too much time on that again, but my point of all this is as Paul describes the rest of this list here, the foundation of it, the root of all of the rest of this depravity in this list, the root is sin. Well, we don't like to say that word in church, and at least outside of church. We can say it in, we can say it in church, but just in sometimes, not all the time. I'm a sinner, what? Ooh. Listen to what Barclays, he says, it is no accident that the first of these qualities will be a life that is centered around self. The adjective used here, philolatus, means self-love. Love of self is the basic sin which all others flow out of. The moment that a man makes the will of his own, the will his center of his life, all divine and human relationships are destroyed. Obedience to God and charity to both men become impossible at that point. The essence of Christianity is not the enthronement of self, but the obliteration of self. The love of self spawns the rest of this list that Paul has here in the next few verses. Let's look, we're going to look at them briefly here, because I think we're very, we have a good knowledge of these things already. Men will be lovers of money. Love of money is nothing new. Today, have people, people have access to pursue the love of money like never before. Swipe to pay, click to pay, tap to pay, you know, buy now, pay later, just finance it. You need, you need, fill in the blank, right? The love of money. Note that money is not the issue. What is? The love of money. Lovers of money. 
He goes on to say men will be boasters, proud, blasphemers. Man, very prevalent in our society today. It all says, those words all say that, you know what? I'm the most important person. Look at me. Pride, blasphemy. Again, the root of all this self-centeredness, the root of this self-love is sin. And we need to be mindful of this. Boasting and pride and blasphemy, they're apparent everywhere today, whether they're celebrities or public officials. Today we call them politicians, you know. <laughs> it's prevalent everywhere you look. Men will be disobedient to parents. Wow. Since the mid-60s or so, there's been a frightening breakdown of the authority of the family and of the authority that parents have and the authority that a father has in the home. There's been a continual breakdown of that. Children are suing their parents today. Associated Press, daughter, 18 years old, sues her parents. The case involved Rachel Cunning, who claims that her parents kicked her out of her house when she turned 18. She is now suing her parents and asking the court for them to make up the support that is due her for them to finish paying for her private high school education and then to hand over all of the money that they set aside for her college. She is suing her parents. Parents are suing their children. It's no different. Parents win the suit to kick out 30-year-old deadbeat son to get him out of their house in New York. Hey, that was just a couple months ago. That is for real. They had to sue their son to get him out of their house. The authority of the family is under attack in our country. Disobedient to parents. It says men will be unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. This has been prevalent ever since Adam, <laughs> since mankind. I mean, th th these have all been marked to one degree or another. And here Paul says in the last days, these things are going to be all the more prevalent. They're going to continue to get worse. Unloving there, literally translated from the King James, means like without a family love. Again, what I just say is under attack in our country. The family. The family is under attack. You don't think it is. Wait till I keep going and you'll hear more of what I mean by that. We'll come back to that. Men will be slanderers. They're going to tell lies. Nobody lies today. They just call them white lies. We just change the color of it. <laughs> we just call them white lies. They're little baby ones. They don't really mean anything. They're just white lies. Media, politicians, slanderous. I mean, it's big money today, guys. It is big business for people to be slanderous. Political candidates. I mean, just look at what's going on, guys. News clip after news clip. This guy did this, and my competitor did this. My competition is bad, and I'm good, and... I mean, seriously, if you want your entire past brought up since you were two years old, run for public office. That guy, man, that guy stole a kid's brownie in fourth grade. And you want him to run our government? The media, we even need to go there. Hashtag fake news. <laughs> Editors, news directors, these guys serve as prosecutor, judge, jury, and executioner all at the same time. They don't care if their stories are correct anymore. It doesn't matter. 
I mean, seriously, they'll, they'll just slander somebody. And even they'll do it to push their own agenda. And then when they're wrong, guess what? They don't apologize. Oh, yeah, they will. On page 11, at the bottom, in the fine print. We had some information in that article that may not have been true. Moving on. <laughs> Fake news. Slander everywhere. Men will be without self-control. Again, very prevalent in our society. Everything that we do today, sex, drugs, alcohol, food, work. I mean, whatever we do, we we try to do it out of some sort of control. But this is a self-control, not having self-control. Pastor Pastor Tim just shared, you know, just a few weeks ago in Galatians, you know, and he asked, and I love how he put this, he asked the question, what is it in your life that you have no control over? What is the addiction in your life that you have no control over? And then ask yourselves, do you love that thing, that little precious thing, whatever it is, do you love that more than you love Jesus? Man, what an awesome way to put that, and what a simple way. If you guys have problems with self-control, I don't care if it's food, drugs, money, whatever, pornography, prescription medications, you name it. Fill in the blank, guys. There's plenty of things in our country and that we all deal with and struggle with that we have lack of self-control over. Put it into perspective. Do you love that more than you love God? And if we're honest, emphatically we'll have to answer that yes. So we have to be careful. We can be healed of that because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and we can overcome our flesh because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In the last days, men will be without self-control. I just couldn't help myself. I just, how many times have you heard that? How many times have you said that? I just couldn't help myself. I wanted one Oreo and I hate the whole box. I don't know. No idea what happened there. They were there one minute and gone the next. I don't know what happened. I couldn't control myself. Do you love that box of Oreos more than you love the Lord? Again, perhaps we've said some of these things ourselves. It says also in verse 3, men will be brutal. I mean, cruelty and brutality. I mean, these are nothing new. I mean, Paul wrote this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that in the last days it's going to be marked with a lot more brutality. Guys, look at what ISIS has done. People flying planes in the building, okay? People driving trucks into crowds of people. People unloading guns on innocent people in public gatherings or in schools. The problem is not gun control. The problem is a lack of love for one another. It's the result of a God-rejecting, Bible-rejecting, true love-rejecting society. But we like to think of ourselves, right? We like to think of ourselves as, no, 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 no. We are the most advanced generation around, man. This, 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 man, we're so much better than previous generations. We got it all figured out. We got technology. We got all this stuff. More people have been murdered in our century than ever before in history. 
I haven't even brought up abortion yet. Since 1973, nearly 57 million legal abortions have taken place in our country alone, just in the United States. Let that number sink in for a minute. 57 million. 57 million. Over 57 people got gunned down in Las Vegas and we freaked out in this country. Yet we don't have a problem killing 57 million unborn children. 57 million. Listen to this list in their populations by state. Michigan, 9.88 million. Wisconsin, 5.7 million. Minnesota, 5.3 million. Iowa, 3 million. North Dakota, 700,000. South Dakota, 824,000. Nebraska, 1.8 million. Louisiana, 4.6 million. Montana, 998 million. Wyoming, 568 million. Uh, 568,000, sorry. 5.2 million. Utah, 2.8 million. Idaho, 1.58 million. Arkansas, 2.94 million. Alabama, 4.88 million. Tennessee, 6.2 million people. You add all 16 of those states up, what do you get? Over 57 million people. Talk about brutality. Do you think we're in brutality in these last days? And yet in our country, what do we do? We call it a right. We put it on a pedestal. And people run around naked in the street with it written on their shirts or their skin. And it is blasphemy against the Lord and what his word says. But hey, that's my opinion. You're entitled to your own, right? You have your own choice. It's your choice. Men will be despisers of good. There just seems to be way too many examples in modern society to, to, to really get into that one. I mean, you know, killing, used to be, killing people used to be kind of like a bad thing, you know? And now it's kind of like a good thing. Man, that guy deserved to die. Really? That guy deserved to die. Abortion, violence, murder, violence. I mean, euthanasia. You know, we're treating our elders like old dogs that need to be put down. Putting them in convalescent homes until they pass away. I saw an article the other day uh, regarding a blog that this young Christian woman wrote. And I didn't read it, but the the title of the blog kind of caught my eye. I was like, she's like, young men today prefer women who don't have tattoos, who are virgins, and are without debt. I'm like, okay. I didn't read the blog, but I looked at some of the comments, and I was disgusted by what people wrote. And by the way, this was posted by a gal that I thought was a believer. One of the comments was regarding virginity and tattoos is, who is she to tell me what to do with my body? Another girl wrote, I can't even believe she had the audacity to write this article. It's not even biblical. Really? Now, we can argue about tattoos, okay? I mean, we can, but being a virgin and having debt? Just like the guys on ESPN. Come ESPN, come on, man. Seriously? Seriously? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, guys. Did I wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Is this thing still true? Has it changed? 
No. Mankind has changed. And it's going to get worse here in these last days. Rapidly, it's going to get out of control. Mankind is growing more and more hateful of God's word, more and more hateful of God's people, and it is not going to get better, contrary to popular belief. Well, I say God's people in light of those who actually preach, teach, and go out there and spread God's word. If you're just a pew warmer, hey, Satan's got you on the sideline already. He's not, you're not a threat. He's not concerned about you. Look at the rest of this list in verse 4. Men will be traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The root of every one of those is self. Every single one of those. It marks the marketing and slogan campaign of most of our stuff in our society. Burger King, your way right away at Burger King now. Right? Neiman Marcus says, relax, there's no rules here. Wendy's, do what tastes right to you. Rhodes and Schwartz says that they're pushing the limits. Nike, just do it. Sob, hey, find your own road. Whatever's right for you. The message is the same over and over again. What is it? It says you make your own rules. You are the center of your own universe. You're the only one that matters. Do what is right for you because the universe revolves around you. The root of all that is sin. And the root of all that is a lack of authority in their life or allowing God's authority into the person's life. You know, we, we shouldn't have to choose between the pleasures of God and the pleasures of man. You know, serving God is the ultimate pleasure, guys. Psalm 1611 spells it out at the end of the verse there. It says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Serving God, there's nothing more pleasurable. But we have to choose to do that, right? We have to make the choice to do that. We have to choose to love. We have to choose to live for God. Paul wraps all this up in verse 5. These men have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. In our self-obsessed world, you know, I mean, people feel very free these days to have kind of a salad bar religion, right? They pick and choose what they want, you know. I'll take this. This is good. I like that. Oh, this is over here is nice. This is good. You know, pick and choose what they want. And, man, people are very spiritual these days. Spiritual. Oh, yeah, man, spirit, spirituality is good, you know. But they're not really looking in the right place for that is the problem. You see, when you talk about the power of godliness here, what Paul is talking about, he meant the sense, you know, he meant the sense of power for God to guide their life. That's what Paul meant. But when we talk about spirituality and how it can affect your life, most people says it's the power to give me what I want. <laughs> because the root goes back to what? It's all about me. It's all about self. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are? People have a problem. Society has a problem with authority today. Paul ends this at the end of verse 5. He says, and from such people turn away. The command to turn away from people described by these characteristics, I mean, it's difficult to do in our day and age. I mean, it's hard to be torn, tear, tear away from these guys. And really, it's, it's not to uh, just, you know, cast everybody out of your life. It's hanging around people, right? It's 
those people that habitually exhibit these kind of things, right? Because if, if we're honest with each other, we can all do all those things periodically, okay? The, the flesh creeps up, okay? When we act out any of those things, we're acting out in the flesh, and we're acting out in self, and we're acting out in sin. But hanging around people that habitually exhibit these characteristics, Paul says, get away from them, get them out of your life. You don't need that influence in your life especially when the culture continues to spiral down the path. It says, no, 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 everybody needs to be accepting of everybody else and everything, and we, need to, we don't want to offend everybody, just coexist, right? Yeah, unless your word of God tells me what to do, then we have a problem because it comes back to authority in our lives. Many think it's just enough to keep themselves. As long, hey, as long as I'm not like that, that's okay. But what Paul is saying here is that the company you keep matters. The people you hang around matters. At home, in your community, in your workplace, what you do on Friday, Saturday night, it matters who you hang around with. Why? Because it will have an influence and an impact on your life. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Christian, choose wisely who you spend your time with, who you spend the most. I'm not saying don't have friends with non-believers. We're supposed to be out there and we're supposed to be impactful and reach those people. But if you're spending 99.9% of your time with them, chances are they're going to rub off on you and not the other way around. That's what he means by that. And he says, turn away from such of these guys. Get away from them. Man, that list was fun, wasn't it? (laughs) Whew, thank you, Paul, for that. You know, we have to have a proper perspective of what's going on in these last days. Let's pick it up in verse 6. More warnings that he gives Timothy here. For this, of this sort, those who creep into households, who make captivities of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and they were able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says those who creep into households. I said it before, guess what? What's under attack in our country? The family, our home. What goes on in our homes is under attack. Again, what are we allowing into our homes? He says, make captive of gullible, really means like silly women. Let me be clear here. I didn't write this. Paul did. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay? Before you ladies start throwing darts, okay? I didn't write that. Paul did by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Part of that is because... In that day, in Paul's day, women primarily stayed in the home, okay? And that's where a lot of this stuff, you know, they, they were kind of called gullible because they would kind of pay attention and they would believe just about anything if it was packaged the right way and it would infiltrate households. That's what he's saying here, okay? As believers, we need to take everything back to the Word of God. You never go wrong doing that. Is if, you know, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new, Okay? Take it back to the Word of God. There's, that's the only effective way we can do that. Okay? You want to try to figure out if you're being captive by something right now in your life? Take that influence out of your life for one week. See how hard it is to walk away from it. Can you set down cigarettes for a week? Can you set down alcohol for a week? Can you set down filling the blake for a week? What is it that is captivating your life? Set down your cell phone and go without your cell phone for a week. 
ouch, it's hard. Here Paul is singling out, again, gullible women just because they were more likely to be at home during this time. Speaks of women rather than men because they were more liable to take on such imposters. And let me pause here for a minute and just be clear. As men, men, we are supposed to be a covering for our women. Okay? And I'm sure that you'll agree with me again that here in the last days, this ideology is under attack heavily in our country right now. Has been since the 60s and 70s. Feminism, equal rights, all these different things. Gender identity. You don't know what sex we are anymore. Goes on and on, right? As men, we're supposed to be a covering for our women. God never intended men to be running around in skinny jeans and man buns. Oh, sorry, I might have digressed on that one a little too much. <laughs> Notice what happens to these guys at the end of verse 6. They are led away by various lusts. Very, led away. Drawn away from the things of God. Drawn away from God's word. Drawn away from hanging out with other believers. They're led away. Notice it says by various lusts. Guys, don't be stupid. Satan knows what you like, okay? And he's not going to come bringing it to you with a pitchfork and a little red tail and horns, okay? It's going to come in the shape of Oreos in a pretty package, and you're going to eat all of them, okay? You get my point there. He knows. He knows what you struggle with. These type are also in verse 7, it says, always learning but never able to come to the truth. Guys, what else is under attack in our country? The absolute truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. If anybody ever says that to you, hey, there's no such thing as absolute truth, you know what you ask them? Is that statement true? Hmm. You just said there's no such thing as absolute truth. How do you know that statement is true? Hmm. That's weird. Why? Because they believe that they're the center of their own universe. Whatever's right for you is right for you. Man, this is whatever's true for you is true for you. If it works for you, great, do it. But in the last days, outside of ourselves, you know, here, I mean, we can learn and learn and learn and never come to the knowledge of God's eternal truth. Guys, there are plenty of people that know the word of God inside and out that don't have a relationship with him have to have that relationship before you can really understand what God's word is saying. Paul goes on and gives the example of this, this sort of corrupt human condition. He's kind of warned him some more. Look at verse 8. He says, Now Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Uh, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. They will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to um, us as, as was theirs. So Janus and Jambres kind of goes back to Exodus 7 and 8, talks about, you know, they resisted Moses. You know, they, they operated under the power of darkness, and Moses obviously was operating under the power of God. You know, when they, he, Moses cast down his rod and it turned into a serpent, they did the same thing. They cast down rods and so on and so forth, and Moses' serpent ate their serpent, and they turned water into blood and so on and so forth, and Moses brought forth plagues. Janus and Jambres, they did the same thing. They brought forth plagues, but eventually they could not match God miracle for miracle. Occultic powers will always be inferior to God's power. Inferior. 
There's no competition. It's not even the same playing field. Okay? The abilities to... But don't be deceived. To do miracles by the power of darkness is 100% real in our lives, in our world, guys. Don't be deceived by that. So often... You know, Christians like to bury their head in the sand sometimes with that and just, oh, it doesn't, la, 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 it's not happening, la, la. It's real, okay? 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, you know? So we don't need to be blown away by all this stuff we need, but we need to be careful because it may look good, it may look real, but it, its source could be 100% demonic. What do we do? Take it back to God's Word. Take it back to God's Word. It's truth here. Truth is under attack in our country. We'll, we'll wrap all this up here with Exodus 8, 18 and 19. Speaking of Janus and Jambres, now the magicians so worked their enchantments to bring forth lice, but notice, they could not. So there was lice on man and beast. Then magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Notice, men here, Pharaoh here, they're not going to be moved by miracles anymore. But you know what? If they're honest with themselves, they have to admit, man, that was a work of God. And I think it's really cool here, too, just in that little section of Scripture, that that's just God's finger. This is God's finger doing something. Yeah, go ahead, try play with your little games. Watch this. Yeah, yeah, watch this. God's still in control, folks. Don't, don't, be, don't be duped. Don't be duped. So great message of great hope here that we have. Let's go on, verse, verse 10. He says, but you, Timothy, but you, believer in Christ, have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, all who de- yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Paul's sitting here saying, he says, but you, just as I described all these things that are going to happen to you, you know what? He says, but you, Timothy, you have followed clear dividing line between what Timothy is doing and what the world is doing. He says, but you. So this is the encouragement for us today. What is he doing? What is he following after? You have carefully followed. What did he follow? His doctrine, his manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. Carefully followed means right out to the side of this that he actually learned these things. Carefully following somebody. This is the mindset of like, you know, you're, you're seeing it lived out in other people and you want to mirror what they're doing. This is how we kind of teach people that come in new to our workplace, right? You know, they come in new and we don't just say, take them through some classroom instruction and say, get out there and figure it out. <laughs> no, you put them with some other seasoned employee and you, they walk them along, right? Parents, whether you like it or not, your children are watching you. Trust me, the old do as I say, not as I do doesn't work. (laughs) That argument never wins. Your actions will always speak louder than words. Think actions don't speak louder than words. What did that do? What did that do right there? 
actions will always speak louder than words. Paul's saying, catch the doctrine that I taught you. He started off with the doctrine. The reason Paul lived the way he did is because he believed certain things. Wait a minute, you mean what I actually believe is really going to show in how I actually live? Yes, it should. And hopefully we're showing the same manner of life. Timothy was influenced by Paul because he met up with him once a year and had coffee. No, he hung out with him all the time, man. They had three meals a day together. They were in the mission field together. They were going over. They hung out together. They, they, they spent time together. Who are you hanging out with? Perseverance, per persecutions, afflictions, all these different things. We're told that we are going to suffer persecution. Today, right now, right now, as I speak, in fact, you know, Christians are being persecuted all over the world. People are being killed in China, uh, throughout the Muslim world, uh, even Russia. Now, you know, Russia just passed a law uh, just a couple years ago, making it uh, making a very strong anti-missionary law in their country. That's why you don't hear a lot about mission trips going to Russia anymore. Is because it is illegal. Notice. The law says it is illegal to evangelize outside of church. What is evangelism? <laughs> we don't evangelize inside these four walls, guys. Evangelism takes place out there in your community, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. That's where evangelism takes place. In Russia, it's now illegal to evangelize outside the four walls of the church. See how they kind of slid that in there? You go hand out tracts in the red square, you're going to be arrested and thrown in prison now. How far away do you think our country is from that? Not far. Not far, guys. Christians are persecuted for the same reason Jesus was in uh, John, 19, uh, 3, John 3, 19. Jesus speaking, he says, And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And Paul goes on in verse 11. He gives them these same examples that happened to him in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He's like, I went through this stuff. In Antioch, and I like this because we're in a home, this is exactly where we're at in our home fellowship. And by the way, if you're not in a home fellowship, get in one. My wife and I, I mean, I want to digress for a second, but my wife and I learned so much in our early Christian walk by being plugged into a church that had home fellowships because we hung out with people that were believers and seasoned Christians. And what did we do? We studied the Word of God and talked about the Word of God, talked about how it was impactful in our lives, talked about how it applied to our lives, talked about how to take it and make it apply to our lives in a home fellowship. Get plugged in, guys. They are, they are just so beneficial. In Antioch, Paul was kicked out of the city for preaching the gospel. At Iconium, Paul was executed by stoning. He, they tried to anyway. And then in Lystra, they actually did stone Paul, kick him out of the city, and leave him for dead. They thought he was dead. Please do not miss this in this verse this morning. Look again at verse 11. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Don't Miss that this morning, Christian. 
and out of some of them, the Lord, no, out of all of them, every one of them, the Lord delivered me. I asked you earlier, what are you struggling with? What did you come in here with? What baggage did you bring in this morning? We're all dealing with something. Lay it at the foot of the cross. The Lord will deliver you and get you through it. But so often, did you notice it did not say that the Lord prevented any persecution from happening to me at all? The Lord helped me avoid any persecution whatsoever. It doesn't say that. It says, out of it, he delivered. Paul still had to go through it. He still had to walk through some horrible persecution. Yet so often, first thing we like to do once we get to the point of praying, when we're in a difficult situation, because that's usually not what we do first anyway, if we're honest, we don't pray. But when we get to that point of praying, what's the first thing we say? Lord, get me out of this. Take me out of this. Lord, make it disappear. Lord, make it vanish. Make it vaporize before my eyes. Instead of, Lord, give me the strength to get through this trial that you can get the glory on the other side of it. Get me through it, Lord. Strengthen me so I have the strength to walk through it and that everybody around me that sees me walking through this trial, Lord, will get, they'll give you the glory because of it. Guys, as believers, if you're really following after the Lord, if you're really making a stand for Jesus Christ, we will suffer persecution. If you're not being persecuted, I had a pastor tell us this one time, and he, man, it, it pierced me. If you're not being persecuted, you need to ask yourself why. Do you look so much like the world that you're not a threat? We shouldn't. Guys, get, get out of the pews. Get out of the chairs. Get in the game. Get in the game. If you're not being persecuted for your faith, maybe you're not sharing it. Maybe you're not living it. Ask yourself that. He wraps all this up. Let's take it up to verse 13. But evil men and imposters, they will grow worse and worse, kind of like what, what Spurgeon said earlier. It's not going to get better. Going to be deceiving and being deceived. But he says, but you must continue. You, Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of knowing from who you learned them. So he was taught early on because it says in verse 15, and from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's going to get worse, guys, but, you know, hey, learn, know what you learned. He was taught through, back in chapter 1, his, his grandmother and, and uh, mother Lois and them, they, they, they taught into, they fed into him when he was little. Again, what, again, remind yourself the things that you know. Timothy tell, is telling him basically here to abide in these things. Stand in these things. It's the same word that uh, is, uh, John used in 1 John 2.24. 1 John 2.24, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father. Abide in this thing. Continue in this. And the rest of the, rest of the book, guys, through about chapter 4, and I encourage you to read the rest of that this week because that's, that's, that's what he goes into through the rest of this. We don't have time to get into all that this morning. But he's telling him there, look at verse 14. He says, knowing from what you have learned. 
Continue in these things, he's telling. Remember, you learn these things. You know these things. But we're forgetful, right? We forget stuff, you know? We forget what things were. So Timothy is saying, is he telling, Paul's telling Timothy, just remember these things, guys. Remember from what you learned early on from his family. Again, Lois and Eunice taught him early on, it says in chapter 1. What did they teach him? It says the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. The Word of God. You know, just about roughly 100 years ago in our country, if you've been here that long and you guys have forefathers and grandfathers and so on and so forth that were here over 100 years ago, do you know how they learned how to read? This is what was used in the home and in school to teach people how to read. Just a hundred years ago. Are we spiraling out of control yet? We can't even take this in a school anymore. We can't even take this in places anymore. Yet this is what most of your grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers, this is what they learned how to read. Unless you're from Tennessee, then you probably don't know how to read anyway. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he tells us to continue in them. That was a joke for my uh, UT fans out there. (laughs) He says, which are able to make you wise for salvation. This stuff, guys, is able to make you wise to the point of salvation. Continue in the things. He wraps it up, closes it here. Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. And I love it. In the Greek, all means all, guys. Cover to cover. We don't pick out the good stuff. We don't pick out just the stuff that makes us feel good and teach that. Cover to cover. The entire word of God. More than just the Hebrew Scriptures. Paul is writing this at a time when he didn't even have the New Testament, but he knew that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the things that were going to be written down as the God-breathed Word of God would be impactful to people later on. All Scripture, it says, is given by inspiration of God. No, that's just a big textbook and a bunch of guys wrote that, you know. Yeah, a bunch of guys did write this. 66 books of the Bible wrote it. Yeah, over centuries. They wrote all this stuff over years. Yet it flows together and links up like not, never before. That can only happen by God inspiring these men to write down the words. God inspired these men who wrote it. And also the words that are written are the inspired, and I will also add infallible word of God. There are no mistakes in the Word of God, okay? God didn't say, oops, okay? There's no mistakes in the Word of God. There's no, he didn't use whiteout, okay? We don't have a whole lot of time to get into, you know, the inerrancy of Scripture and stuff, but real quick, I'll just tell you this little story. You know, Professor Peter Stoner calculated the probability of any one man fulfilling just eight, not all 332. There are three 132 distinct Old Testament predictions regarding the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah, the first coming of Christ, coming to earth. There are 332, and he fulfilled every single one of them. Peter Stoner calculated the probability of just one man 
one man, you, me, one man, fulfilling just eight of them. You know what he calculated it to be? Ten to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros after it. That would be like taking 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, spreading them out all across the state of Texas. It'd be two feet deep. Then we're going to blindfold you, just one man, fulfilling eight, one man, fulfilling eight. We're going to blindfold you, stick you in the middle of Texas on top of those two feet deep silver dollars, and say, go, find the one that's painted red. You have one chance to reach in and pull out the one silver dollar that's painted red. Go. You have one times 10 to the 17th power to do that. That's only fulfilling eight. He calculated further to do 48 of the prophecies. It goes from 10 to the 157th power. He fulfilled all 332 to the letter of the word that was written. Is Jesus who he said he is? Is God's word true? Is God's word infallible? You decide. It's profitable, he tells us in verse 16. It's profitable for doctrine, telling us that we can rely on it. It's true, and we can rely on it. It's profitable for reproof and correction. Whoa, there comes a correction word. We don't like that one. Don't like that one right now. Mm-mm. Who are you to tell me what to do? God's authority, the authority of God's word in our life is under attack in our country. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. It tells us how to live in true righteousness. And the end result, man, we can understand the Bible, guys. That's what it's telling us. It's profitable. We can understand the Bible. If we couldn't understand it, there would be nothing profitable in it, right? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is exhorting Timothy here, encouraging him, man, just continue on in these things, guys. I know it's difficult. I know times are getting bad. I know times are getting worse. People around you are getting worse. Man, just continue in what you're doing, and you will be complete through all this stuff. Complete. You know, complete doesn't mean that the whole Christian life is all about reading the Bible. It's everything that we do as a believer. Reading the Word of God is the doctrine which we should take and then apply to our lives. That's where the rubber meets the road, guys. When you take the Word of God and apply it to your life, reading it is just reading it and closing the book and walking away going, eh, that was cool. All right, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I'm cool. Taking it and applying it to your life to where it impacts not only you but the people around you is what he's talking about here. That's about being complete. That we are thoroughly equipped for every good work, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We're not here to play church, guys. We're not here to just have a pretty little cool social club and hang out together and high-five each other when we come in the door. We want to equip you guys to go out there and be impactful in our communities, to do the work of the ministry. 
that the man of God is complete. So final thoughts here. The Bible transforms us. Yes? It's true. Yes? We can rely on it. Yes? It's profitable? Yes. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. When we let the Bible be the authority of our lives, when we let the Bible guide our lives, guess what changes? We do, right? We actually begin to think like God. We actually begin to act like God. And You know what? When we come to a tough section of Scripture that's hard to swallow, doesn't really line up with our doctrine, guess which one's wrong? Yours, okay? <laughs> Yours is wrong. <laughs> Man, it's tough, guys. It's not easy being a believer in these last days. And it's not going to get any easier, okay? But be encouraged. We have to have that proper perspective in these perilous times that are coming, and they're going to get worse. Paul began the chapter, you know, warning Timothy about what's coming. Man, don't you love that, that God told us what's coming? It's not a surprise, you know? We were at the movies uh, the other week, and man, you, one of them scary movies came up, and boom, man, out of everywhere. But yeah, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> about five of you guys just came out of your skin. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to us? <laughs> That's right, man. Phew. I almost had to pull out the AED there on a few of you guys, you know. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to us, man? He lays it out in front of us and tells us what's coming, guys, and says, man, just continue with what you're doing. You're going to do great. And he encourages us and spurs us on and says, go get it. Go head on. Get in the game. Go after it. Yet some Christians, man, we're just swept away by all this and we just want to bury our head in the sand. Guys, that's not what we're called to do as believers in these last days. We're called to be a, a light out there in this dark world. We need to stand strong on Jesus Christ. We need to stand strong on the Word of God. And you know what? As a pastor, I'll be the first one. I'll be the first one that starts a prison ministry. If anyone tells me to stop teaching this or I'll be arrested, I'll, have, I'll, I'll start a prison ministry because I'll be in jail right next to Paul was. All of this was written while Paul was in prison, in line, and waiting for his death. He was on death row, guys. Yet he's had so much more to pour into Timothy. And, he, and the word of God, if we will allow it to speak into our lives, guys, it will change you. And it will be impactful if you allow it to be in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. we thankful. Oh, man, Lord, we are so thankful, Lord that you didn't just scare us with these things, Lord. You told us to warn us, to, to let us know what's coming. And Father, I thank you so much for the encouragement that we have today, knowing that we don't have to do these things alone, Lord, that you're right there with us, Father God. You're there walking with us through all of these things, through all of our trials, Lord. Use our trials in our life, Father God, that, man, we can, be, we can just bring your name, the name of Jesus Christ, glory to all those around us. So we thank you, Father, again for your word. Equip us with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to go out outside of these four walls, outside of these four walls into the mission field, in, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our community, into our workplaces, into our schools, to be impactful for the name of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do it alone. We do it under your authority, under the authority and power of your word coming alive in our lives. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close in one more song, but uh, there's guys up here that will pray for you. If you want to come up here.